personal. She took him into the fellowship hall for a cup of Kool-Aid and wrote her telephone number down on a paper napkin before he even asked for it. He's just my type, she said to her mother, Netta, later. Ha, Netta said. Netta thought he looked nervous. But Cheryl liked that about him because everybody else she knew was exactly like their parents were, exactly like everyone else. David was older, a college graduate. Cheryl, who had finished high school two years before, was working then at Fabric World. She thought David was like a young man in a book or movie. Whatever he said seemed important, as if it had been written down and he was reading it aloud. Later, when she got to know him, she'd go to the room that he rented over Mrs. Bailey's garage and lie with him on the mattress on the floor where he slept. The mattress pulled over to the window where you could look right out on Thompson's Esso and the back road and the river winding by. And sometimes afterward, she'd open her eyes to find him looking out this window over the river. And she couldn't tell what he was thinking. She never knew what he thought. Then Cheryl found this romantic. But probably she should have gotten herself a big old man who could stand up to things, not that she didn't have offers. Look at Jerry Jarvis, who had always loved her, or Kenny Perdue, who she was dating at the time. When she told Kenny she didn't want to go out with him anymore because she was in love with David Stone from Baltimore, Maryland, Kenny went out and cried and rolled in the snow. That's what his mother told Netta on the telephone. She said, Kenny rolled in the snow. But David Stone had a kind of reserve about him, a sort of hollow in him, which just drove Cheryl wild. It was like she was always trying to make up to him for something, to make something be okay or go away, but she never knew what it was. David came from a small, quiet family. One sister and a shy, divorced mother with her hair in a little gray bun on the top of her head, and a father who was not mentioned. At the time she met David, Cheryl didn't know anybody who was divorced. Now everybody was, including her, it looked like. With David leaving forever, Cheryl would be divorced too. Should she put up her hair in a bun? Cheryl would be a divorcee. Like her sister, Lisa. Like her best friend, Marie. Like everyone on television. This seemed totally crazy, with all the towels she held in her arms, with how fresh and sweet they smelled. With the bedrooms upstairs behind her so full of all the children, of their shared life. Now Netta would say, I told you so. She'd swear up and down that she wasn't a bit surprised. And even Cheryl knew, had known when she married him, that David wasn't exactly a family man. She'd had four children knowing it, thinking that he would change because she loved him. And love conquers all. You can't decide who you're going to love. And even though David didn't really believe in God, and made fun of their cousin Purcell, an evangelist, and taught at the community college all these years instead of getting a real job, 
and refused to help Lewis make a car out of wood, that time for the Pinewood Derby and Cub Scouts. Even so, there were other things, good things, as well. He liked to cook. He read books to her out loud. He'd been the one who got up with the babies in the night. It was weird to find these traits in a man, although they were more common now since women's lib than they had been when David and Cheryl got married, all those years ago. Cheryl looked down the stairs at David, memorizing him. Please, don't blame yourself, he said formally. I feel terrible about doing this. Oh, that's okay, Cheryl said without thinking, because she had gone for so long pleasing men. David started to say something else and didn't. He turned sharp on his heel like a soldier and plunged out into the shiny day right through Lewis and his friends playing catch in the yard and got in the Toyota and drove away. Cheryl stood in the doorway and watched him go and couldn't imagine a different life. She wondered if David would wear the hat. Netta did not say, I told you so. Instead, she cried and cried, sitting in her pink robe on the sofa in the TV room surrounded by blue clouds of Tarryton smoke. You would have thought that David Stone had left her instead of her daughter Cheryl. But Netta, now sixty-two, had always been a dramatic woman. When her own husband, Cheryl's father, Bill, died suddenly of a heart attack at forty-nine, Netta had almost died, too. She referred to that time now as when Bill was tragically taken from us. But the truth was... It was tragic. Cheryl's father had been a kindly, jovial man, a hard worker. Not like David Stone, who was, as Cheryl's friend Marie put it, an enigma. Marie came over a lot after David left, to help Cheryl cope. Marie was divorced, too. She went to group therapy. He was just an enigma, she said. That seemed to settle it as far as Marie was concerned, only, of course, it didn't. For one thing, although David had left forever, he didn't go very far. Just about four miles, out the Greensboro Highway, where he rented an apartment in the Swiss Chalet Apartments, which looked like a row of gingerbread houses. At first, the kids liked going over there, especially because of the pool. But then they didn't because their daddy wouldn't get a TV, or buy soft drinks, or meat. According to Angela, he said he was going to simplify his life. Isn't it a little bit late for that? Lisa asked when she heard this news. Lisa, who ran the La Coiffure Salon in the mall, had had one so-so marriage and one big disaster, and always took a dim view of men anyway. She disagreed with Marie and felt that David was an asshole instead of an enigma. Cheryl sat among these women, Lisa, Marie, and Netta, in her own velvet armchair in her own TV room, feeling like she wasn't even there. 
What Angela said about David simplifying his life reminded Cheryl of the old days, the really old days, when she lay with him on the mattress pulled over to the window, in the room over Mrs. Bailey's garage, when the sun fell through the under-curtained windows in long yellow blocks of light, warming their bodies. She remembered the way the leaves looked, yellow and red and gold, floating on the river that October. David had loved her so much then. Whatever weird stuff he might be saying or doing now, David had loved her then. Good riddance, I say, said Netta, lighting up. David had made no bones about how much he hated cigarettes. If they hadn't been living in Netta's own house, he'd have made her go out in the yard to smoke. It might just be the male menopause, Marie offered. Marie was thin and pretty, with long pale legs and a brand new perm, which Lisa had just given her. Marie and Cheryl had been best friends since grade school. He might just turn right around and try to come back, said Marie. Ha, said Netta. Never. But Cheryl seized on this, thinking, He might come back. Marie's other insight, seconded by their cousin Purcell, was that David's sister dying of cancer so recently had a lot to do with this whole thing. Louise had died that January, before he left. She was forty-seven, a sweet, shadowy English teacher who had never married. She was so shy. Yet it was surprising how many people had showed up at her funeral. Ex-students, friends, people from their neighborhood in Baltimore. Cheryl, who never could find...